You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Sup, dudes and dudettes. It is the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. That's right. You heard it right. Episode 134. And did I say four? I somehow threw an L in that four. But yeah, it's episode 134. And we are talking about how GW is combating the 3D printer crisis. That's the real talk for tonight. We're talking about the Blissborb Seekers, which is a new release for the Heed Knights of Slanesh, whether or not we want that. And we're also talking to our buddy and Patreon sponsor, Grendel, in the Tesseract Mailbox, and his take on Patreon and um, Kickstarter and all of that for 3D files. So... What have I been up to, you ask? Wait, what was it? Yes, you did just say that. I heard at least one of you, probably far in the back, asked, Hey, Pemcron, what have you been up to lately? Well, I'm still fiddling with the idea of a YouTube channel. I think I'm slowly starting to solidify my ideas. I realize that podcasts are um, not nearly as popular as YouTube. I found out that um, podcasts are not even nearly as popular as articles, and articles are not nearly as popular as YouTube. So it's like, um, I did a couple polls on some Facebook groups and just asked, you know, where do you get your Warhammer from? And this might be useful for any of you trying to make content. Um, By and large, it was about three quarters of people said that they get it in YouTube, is where they got their daily dose of Warhammer. And then about 20% said articles. Maybe it was 15%. And then the remainder of that said podcast. So it was it was definitely YouTube was the big thing. So I'm realizing that I've been doing articles for six years and there's a huge market of people that have never encountered my my raw animal magnetism. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's what I'm thinking about. Um, I'm thinking about it. I've been working on it behind the scenes. A couple of my um, Key close friends have uh, seen some footage of it, and it, it definitely needs some work, but I think I'm starting to nail down the premise behind it and the idea and the, the way I can do it. So you may end up one day turning on YouTube to see Pimpcron TV, and then you may click on Spiky Bits to read a Pimpcron article, and then you may click out of that and listen to my just, just hot voice on this podcast. So, um, now I've, I get this a lot. If you're listening to my podcast and you rot out the crotch of your underwear from all the moisture, I, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about that. I, I've replaced probably a dozen underwear for listeners and I just can't keep doing that. It's, it's draining all of my funds. I've had to remortgage my house. It's, it's nuts. So, um, no, if you, you're going to have to wear an adult diaper or something while you listen to this podcast. Otherwise, the rotten underwear. <laughs> Where am I going with this? I don't even know. I've got no idea. Uh, I like to start sentences and have no idea where the destination is. So, um, yeah. So we're supported by Patreon sponsors who love us and care for us. And we also are supported by GameMat.eu, who is our only sole sponsor for the show. Because I did not want to clog up this place with a ton of sponsors. So I have been working on the YouTube channel and um getting that ready and and recording some stuff and playing around with that i've also been working on the brutality anthology novel 
and I've also been working on the Brutality module that's coming out. I also playtested some Mass Battle Brutality, which is essentially going to be a Warhammer-esque version of Brutality, where you've got big units and you can kit them out however you want, and it's using all the core rules of Brutality, just a couple of things tweaked and added, like a morale and things like that. Um, but I'm very, very excited about that. And um, I also did some kaiju sort of playtesting where it was like, you know, big robots and, and dinosaurs and whatnot. That was a lot of fun, too. So I'm thinking that the next supplement after this mission module in June will be uh, around Christmas will probably be like an alternate playstyle book of spaceship battles, naval battles, kaiju battles, mass battles, all that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, you know what? I've got some really good news as well. I completely forgot about this. This is something I'm quite proud of. So, I have been doing some snooping. It's incredibly hard to find your rankings in podcasting because really nobody keeps any real good tabs on that. The Apple iTunes store kind of does a little bit, but not really. And they don't disclose how they rank it. It's not necessarily by listenership. It could be by duration or whatever. They don't reveal that. So you can look at your iTunes rankings, but that's not entirely a ranking system that's that's real accurate. And you don't know what you're being based off of. It could be length of episode. Obviously, if, if I've got a five-minute podcast, people aren't going to listen to that as much as they listen to an audio drama that's an hour long. So... Um, but I have signed up for a service called Chartable, and apparently they chart all of the YouTube, podcast, whatever goings-ons. And I discovered that I am ranked 250th on the gaming podcasts. Now, you might go, good God, this sucks. Why would you be proud of 250? Well, if you do a little more digging, there is, and you'll be surprised at this, in the gaming subcategory, and that includes D&D and all the board games and all the stuff, um, there are roughly 5,000 gaming podcasts. Now, a lot of these are defunct. I would probably say half of them are defunct because people don't keep up with podcasts. And once they start them, a lot of times within six months, they're, they're done with it because it doesn't fit their schedule or whatever. So out of those 5,000 registered gaming podcasts... Um, I'm, I'm certain probably only, you know, 2,500 of them are still active. And in that case, that puts me in the top 10%. And by the way, you might still go, well, top 10% is not that great, but wait a second. If you look at the top 100 podcasts for gaming, there's not a single Warhammer one in there. They are all RPG or D&D related. Every single one of them. I think I did see a Magic in there, a Magic the Gathering. But, I mean, they are all... Also, remember video gaming. Although RPGs are definitely the number one in gaming. But um, video gaming is also some podcasts. So, that is pretty awesome. That um, And I, I've got listeners to thank for that. I'm very, very proud that we could be in the top 10%. Now, that would be top 5% of all known gaming podcasts. But the top 10% of what I would assume is active gaming podcasts. You know what? I am totally fine with that. I'm very, very proud of that. And I'm very proud of um, uh, that I've gotten all of you guys to listen and that you hopefully enjoy the show and, and all of that. I love our community that we're growing and I rarely have to ask for emails. Usually I get at least one email a week. Um, occasionally I get backed up and I'll get three or four at one time. And um, those of you who have written and had to wait a month to hear my reply, I do apologize, but you already know that. And um, so anyway, I'm quite proud of that. 
Um, I played a game of, you know, I don't even know what I played this week. What on earth did I play? Oh, oh, yeah, we had kind of a blowout. Um, our friend Ash, my friend Trevor and I played. I was Chaos Space Marines, and uh, he was Space Wolves. And we played against my friend Ash, who this was like his second or third 40k game ever. So he's extremely new to the game. And we weren't trying to stomp him or anything, but but he was playing Custodes. Or Custodes, I guess. And it just so happens. So this is my thought process behind this. I was like, okay, we're going to have four objectives and custodies are not going to have any models on the field. So what I'm going to do is I'm just not going to bring many models either to make it fairly balanced for them. So I'm going to take all of my favorite models. I only had six models on my half of the team with Trevor. And my six models were two Mauler Fiends, two Venom Crawlers, and two Demon Princes. Because those three are my favorite units in the entire army Maybe besides the greater possessed. I just love those and that's what I built this whole army around. So little did I really realize at that time, but all of those things can easily do two to three damage a pop. And you know how many wounds a general custody has? Yeah, three wounds. Yeah, that's right. So he's got a four up and vulnerable save. And I got these guys that are fighting first because we're Slanesh and just... Just whooping ass, and I felt really bad because I did not mean to intentionally take a list that was like the exact counter to his list. I truly did not mean that, and we pretty much wiped him off the board, uh, more or less. And I, I just felt really bad about that because I, about halfway through the game, I was like, oh yeah, okay, so I'm all high toughness, and he's usually strength five or six, but it's still less than mine, and, um. I'm fighting first, and I'm doing multiple damage. Well, that is just great. So, also, you know, not to mention, they're pretty mobile, too. Baller Fiends are 10-inch movement, Demon Princes are 12. I think Venom Crawlers are 10-inch movement. I mean, they're they're a pretty fast army to begin with, and it was mostly melee-driven. So, I accidentally creamed a brand new player. And I don't even mean in the parking lot later. I mean, like, on the table with my friend Trevor. Um... And I don't mean like that, I just <laughs> I just mean that we beat the crap out of him, and it was totally un unintentional. My intention was to have a fun game with the units that I wanted, and to have a m low model count, so that it would be a even ground. And it just, just didn't work out that way. Sometimes you're just not thinking, and you completely screw somebody by accident. So, if you're listening to this, Ash, I apologize. <laughs> Next time I'll bring something else, because if I would have brought all my possessed or something like that, it would be an entirely 100% different game because he would have been wounding me a lot better. He would have been killing my stuff and, and all that. I would have had morale to worry about. But here I am, you know, a softy, just bringing the things I wanted and accidentally slit my friend's throat. So just like when I was in juvie. All right, well, let's go on to the next segment. And thank you so much for listening to the PimpCon Warhammer podcast. And thank you so much for putting us in the top 5% of the gaming podcasts that have ever existed and top 10% of the existing podcast. Ah! Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this here edition of Tesseract Mailbox, we got a letter from one of our Patreon sponsors, a badass cryptic named Grendel. He writes, Oh, glorious leader. All right, I'm going to stop that now. I have done a few Kickstarters in my life. Most of them were for miniatures I was going to use in a game of 40K or D&D. I did buy a game once, but I have yet to play it. I just never found anyone who was interested. Ding, 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 ding. 
Yeah, Grendel, that's basically what happens to all of the games that I've ever kickstarted. Um, he says, maybe if I joined one of those board game groups. I don't think G- GW ever has to worry about a Kickstarter game beating them out of the market. Now, before we go any further, Grendel, I specifically said that there would be some sort of impact on GW because people aren't made of infinite money, and any dollar you spend on Kickstarter is arguably not a dollar spent with GW. So I wasn't trying to say that I ever thought a Kickstarter game would surpass GW per se, because I agree with you there that it's it's probably not very likely. I was just thinking more uh, theoretically that um, that is money out of their pocket technically. Just like any money you buy on food is technically not being spent with GW sort of thing. Um, except for the fact that a lot of us budget for line items that are specifically for hobbying or gaming or whatever, and that is more directly impacting GW than, let's say, your food bill or your gas bill or whatever. Uh, Grendel writes, uh, goes on to write, My gripe with the Kickstarter community is that most of the interesting campaigns I see now are for 3D files, not for actual product. Sure, I believe that they should sell their work and get paid for their work, but I think the Kickstarter platform is the wrong way to do it. I was looking at one campaign. They had a lower tier if you just wanted to buy the SDLs. I almost backed it until I read the fine print. To get the model I actually wanted, I actually had to get their gold tier. It was more expensive than if I just bought the models from them. That is crazy. Another gripe is that not everybody has access to a 3D printer. You know, like your friend Pimcron here. Even if one does, it is not a guarantee that your printer will print these files. In the end, I feel like a lot of these producers are only giving us half a product with a lot of work. I also have a similar gripe with Patreon. I can't subscribe to all these content producers just for the chance I will like one of their models. That platform actually costs modelers money since I can't fork over $10 a month just for a chance that they will make a cool model. In the end, I just canceled my subscriptions to all of them. No matter how hard I tried, I could never get them to look as good as the file and none of them match the quality of GW. Sure, it could be the printer or more more probably the user error, but I can't get the print to look right if I can't get the printer at look right, what is the use? Maybe in a couple of years I can try again with a different printer. Who knows, someone might create a printer where you can just drop an STL into a printer and it prints out high quality model. Well, that's enough for me. Have a good one, Grendel. I 100% agree with you once again, and I promise Grendel is not paying me to agree with him. I have ran into the same thing several times, and I do not have a printer uh, technically. I don't have a 3D printer anymore. A very short aside note is that uh, my brother and I bought a 3D printer back before all of these. I mean, we bought it probably a decade ago. It cost us like some rid- like $800 or something like that, some ridiculous amount. And you actually had to build the printer yourself. It was all like MDF pre-lasered out stuff. And uh, this was before there was like commercially available for the regular consumer. And um, we did make some stuff with it. We did 3D print some terrain features and things like that. Sold them on eBay, whatever. But then, after all the work we had done, we'd built vehicles, you know, designed vehicles and, and all sorts of stuff. Escape pods for objective markers and all sorts of stuff. And then he accidentally somehow wiped his computer uh, memory and we lost all of it. And to be honest with you, um, that was, I already had one kid. I don't think I had two kids at that point, but with everything going on in life and, and whatnot, it just ended up being that, uh, we kind of abandoned the, the whole project. 
And then at that point, too, commercial printers were starting to come out that had better quality than ours. So I'm certain the printer that is just sitting and rotting at my brother's house is some sort of dinosaur now. And it the print quality is nowhere near what the newer printers are, probably. But uh, another aside, because I, boy, do I love asides today. I, too, fell for uh, one of these Kickstarter programs where they're just selling the files. And this was... Probably like, I don't know, five years ago. It was quite a while ago before they that became the thing on Kickstarter, just like you said, where they just want to sell you the STL and they don't want to actually sell you the model. And I signed up for all this. I couldn't believe the price of this terrain. I mean, it was a ton of terrain and it was a relatively a pretty good price for it. Let's say it was a whole city worth of design buildings and it was like $200 or $150 or whatever. And I did not read the fine print, or I didn't know what an STL was, I don't recall. But I did not get the point that it was merely for the STLs. It was not for whatever. So I backed the campaign and all of that, and at some point after backing it, I reread it, and I'm like, oh, oh, this is just the files. I thought this was actually going to be them printing out the buildings and selling them to me. No, this was just for the files. So I ended up, uh, believe it or not, they did give me a refund. I said, look, I don't know, you know, if you can tell that I never opened the link that you sent me or whatever to the files, but I don't actually have a printer and I have no access to one. Could I please have a refund? And believe it or not, they actually did refund me. But that was long before that became the norm in Kickstarter campaigns. Similarly, I've also seen these Patreon things cropping up everywhere, and Man, some of them have some really cool-looking models, but you're right. They release, like, one model a month or one model every two weeks or whatever, and you got to pay this premium amount monthly, and boy, I I sure hope you don't have, like, I don't know, like a month or two that you did not like the models that they were offering because that money was just wasted at that point. Now, I understand why they're popular. I understand, you know, why people would support them, but for me, even if I had a printer, I am not one to just, like, Oh, I'm going to pay monthly and just hope I get something I like. I, I don't, that's not me. So, um, and also I don't foresee myself getting a printer anytime soon. My life is complicated enough. I do not need another hobby or another distraction. So, but I do, I do 100% agree with you. And I don't know what it all entails to get like a good print or whatever. Cause my brother is the one that did most of that. And back then, boy, you had to watch those printers. Like they would go off the rails just by one little click and you had like this tension bar and all sorts of stuff to make sure that it stayed exactly precise. And I mean, you would print a couple things and it would get all loosey goosey and you'd have to, you know, tighten up all the screws and all the little rubber grooves and everything that was involved. It was a real pain in the butt. I got to tell you, I did some designing. Um, I mostly did the selling. He did most of the designing and he did all the printing, but I do understand exactly what you're saying. I, I'm not a fan of all of this, hey, here's just the STLs things now that's that's happening. So thank you so much for writing in, Grendel. I always look forward to your messages, and uh, you write in whenever you possibly can because you always good, bring up good topics and uh, some good anecdotes over the years about your local store, and you've written in, gee, probably five or six times, I think, in two years. You, you write pretty frequently, so... Uh, keep that going. You can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com or pimcron with no second P, uh, facebook.com slash pimcron. And uh, let's get on to that next segment. 
Want that or want that not? On this week's Want That or Want That Not, we are discussing the new Hedonites of Slanesh Blizzbarb Seekers. Blizzbarb Seekers. Blizzbarb Seekers. I like that word. Bliss. Never mind. I'm not going to do it again. Anyway, this, uh, they're called Deft Slaneshi Archers, and they're mounted atop swift demonic steeds. You know, I always like how. <laughs> this is going to be an aside, because this episode is just full of asides for some reason. This is going to be an aside and just a bit of a rant on my part. Before we even get to the Blissbarb Seekers, um, I always love and I find it interesting how companies add adjectives needlessly to their products. It's like my wife will buy a candle, and it's not tangerine. It's like sun-kissed tangerine, you know, or like... You buy soap and it's like, I don't know, Arctic Fresh. I'm like, what? Arctic Fresh? Like, it. well, I guess that's just a stupid naming convention. It's not really an adjective. But, like, uh, what's another one? It would be like Ripe Blueberry. Or sometimes they're even more stupid than that. Oh, 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 one I've seen is Warm Hug. <laughs> warm Hug? <laughs> what? Hey, we're talking about a candle here. Warm hug. They always love to put some sort of adjective. And basically, like, it's it's a subtle thing, but they put it in there, and when you read it, you're like, you could just read it, and you're like, oh, this is tangerine. Or you could read, ooh, it's sun-kissed tangerine. Oh, God, that this candle sounds juicy. Like, it's just basically a free lie they get to put into it. And I love how it's like deft slaneshi archers. So in other words, saying that like they're really good, right? They're deft um, or adept or whatever. They're deft. And um, then it's the swift. Uh, they're mounted atop swift demonic steeds. Like swift? I mean, okay. They're... They're swift, I guess. It's just, it's funny to me. It'd be like, you think they would just put Slaneshi archers mounted atop demonic steeds. Boom. But oh no. Oh no, these are not your run-of-the-mill Slaneshi archers. These are deft sl Slaneshi archers. And these are not these slow, boring demonic steeds you've heard so much about. These are swift demonic steeds. Now, enough of that rant. It's just, I just find it funny. Um, Blissbarb seekers. barb seekers. Gosh, I love that word. So these Bliss Barb Seekers are pretty neat, actually. So obviously they're part of the new Hedonites of Slanesh release, and these are kind of, it's kind of funny to say this, but we have an aquarium in my house, and you know how fish often have like a long, wavy tail? If you're talking like betas or a lot of other fish, they have like this beautiful, frilly, long tail. Well, a couple of these bliss barb seekers have really pretty tails that remind me of fish, and the more I look at them, they remind me more and more of fish, because they have a pointed face. They're not quite Seekers of Slanesh. They're not quite what you're expecting. They are similar to Seekers of Slanesh, but they're not quite. They look a little chunkier. They've got, if you would picture a fish like a beta, and then just give it legs. That's essentially what a bliss barb seeker is. And <laughs> you're going to hate this word by the end of this segment. You're totally going to hate it. And uh, 
they're really neat looking. They're two of them look more like a fish with a fluffy tail, and two of them look more like a dragon, or you could even still say a sea serpent. They have these spines and these fins on them that look very, very aquatic. Now these are not of aquatic units because they got giant ass legs and they're running on the land, but they're pretty neat looking. They are very a very, very unique looking model. And they've got all of the ornate gold and some of the straps and things and ankle bracelets and all the stuff that you'd expect from this new Hedonites line. And riding atop them are, you know, at first when I first saw them, I thought they were just like normal, stupid, like unskilled Slaneshi archers. But if you look really close, they seem to be pretty deft. They seem like pretty deft Slaneshi archers. So I feel like they're probably going to hit stuff when they shoot at it. Unlike other ones, which never hit when they shoot at things. Um, they're still going with this Persian theme, which I really like. And I don't know if Persian's right, really the right word, but I'm thinking of like the 300 Persians in the movie 300. Not like 300 Persians, but like the 300 Persians. I think you get what I'm saying. Anyway, these are pretty cool. I like all the Bliss Barb whatever. Um, I think that's what the other archers were called. And these are called seekers but they don't look like seekers and if they're supposed to be seekers they've got extremely dynamic poses and they look way cooler than the old seekers and they look larger so i could definitely see getting a couple units of these guys there is five of them for 65 dollars good god you know five of them for 65 right what's that 13 dollars a piece Good God, $13 a piece for these things. And, you know, if you think about it, it's not that far off to just say a box of five models is 100 bucks. It really is not. These things would have been 25 bucks if you gave it 10 years ago. Like, 25 bucks easy for a box of five cavalry for Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And now we're up to $65. I am willing to put $5 on the table and say that... In the next 15 years, I'm trying to be kind of uh, kind of realistic here. In the next 15 years, we will see a box of this, of five cavalry, be a hundred bucks. I would be willing to bet five dollars on that. Actually, I'd be willing to bet a whole box of Bliss Barb Seekers. Anyway, I really love these models. I think they're awesome. I'm loving this new thing. This is probably a new army for me, because I absolutely love them. I love everything about them. I've got no idea about their stats, but darn it, I love these so much. Their mount looks awesome. I mean, the people on top are just kind of generic Persian or whatever. They got, you know, some head wraps. They got some bow and arrows. They got some skin showing. You know, they're kind of, they got head tassels. They're fine. I mean, they're, there's nothing special about them. But the mounts really make them look cool. And I got to tell you, every single, all five of these models are a completely different pose and a completely different model. One guy's got his bow down. One guy is more of in a standing position with his bow out. Uh, there's a woman and another guy that are clearly aiming their, their bow forward. There's another one aiming his bow to the side. If you got 10 of them in a unit, they'd look pretty darn cool. So, I hate to say it. The only thing I can say bad about this model set, and it's beautiful. I love it. The only thing I can say bad about it is the price. $65 seems an awful lot for five models. Now, if they are somehow elite, 
and they're not your run-of-the-mill two-wound cavalry, which they look like they could be a bit beefier than Seekers, then if they're three or four wounds and they're an elite shooting unit, then, you know what? Okay. 65 bucks for what I would assume is 100 to 150 points. I guess that's fine. I love them enough that I guess that's fine. Um, but that is the only thing souring this whole experience. Oh, well. You know, I, I know you want to hear it one more time. So, bliss barb seekers. Good day. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. So, this is Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and you know how we oftentimes, we take some time, and we sit, and we contemplate, and we try to project, and we try to figure out, why does GW do exactly what GW does? Why do they do this? And it could be anything, from pricing, to model design, to whatever, and we have discussed a lot over the years how 3D printing and all of that boom in the very cheap, very do-it-yourself model region is going to eventually impact GW. There is most certainly going to be a time, probably in the next decade, maybe sooner, that GW is going to feel an impact from uh, self-printed models. It's just an inevitability, and I don't know if they're going to eventually sell STLs for their um, models or what. And we've discussed in the past how they could, um, whether it be on the air or not, I don't know, but we've discussed in the past with my friends at least that you know, maybe they sell STLs, maybe they have their own program where each STL is just a one-use thing. They charge 15 bucks for the STL, but you provide everything else, including labor. I mean, it would basically be outsourcing their manufacturing, which might end up being more profitable for them. If it's all digital and all of that, they would have to make up... The only way I can tell that they would not be able to share, or you would not be able to share their files, would be to produce their own program that you have to use that program and use that program to print the models and it would be like you know it explodes after one use or whatever the uh the file does not the machine (laughs) and uh that would be the only way kind of like kindle does you know kindle you download these digital books and all that but they're encrypted in kindle's um format and all of that so that you can't just copy and paste all your pdfs that you bought on kindle onto other devices it would be something similar to that and um, I think that would be doable, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. What we're really here to talk about uh, is GW has to. And even, you know, some of you say they're inept. Some of you say that they are clueless or they're out of touch or whatever. But you know that somewhere at GW, they know that the writing is on the wall about this whole 3D printer stuff. I really, truly feel that is why they are cranking out as much stuff as possible to literally flood the market with their own merchandise so that it they outpace the China cast people, which is only, in my opinion, a moderate threat, not a major threat, and to outpace the 3D printer people, because I feel like that is the much more urgent and clear and present danger for them. So I've noticed something in their models that is kind of interesting to me, and I think I may be on to something how GW plans to combat the 3D printer thing, uh, situation, event, I don't know what you call it, plague, the 3D printer situation, they are trying to combat it with every tool they possibly can. So what are they doing? Number one, I feel like all of these super, super spindly models that they make now, if you'll notice 
almost no cavalry is in on two legs. Almost no night haunt is attached by more than one little tentacle. Um, a lot of the models now are in really super dynamic running poses, or they're leaping, or they're harlequins, and they're they're jumping or spinning or whatever. And many of these, think about all the new Illumineth Realm Lords guys. A lot of them are like a dude balancing on a rock held up by a twig of a tree that is sitting on a pebble under a tree, and the green grass grows all around, all around. You get what I'm saying? I... A lot of these models are beautiful and they're intricate. Look at St. Celestine and all of them with the ribbons and, and the doves. and They're beautiful, but they're also hella fragile. But the difference is, is that if you look at resin or if you look at P, uh, PVC or whatever the plastic is they use in 3D printers, that stuff is way more brittle if you were to try to recreate the same thing in PVL. Is that what it is? I don't know. I'm old. The plastic or the resin in printers now is far more fragile, and it will literally break. If you tried to print a St. Celestine exactly the way they designed her, it would break or snap off much easier than the plastic would. And I truly feel like GW is making super spindly models for a couple different reasons to combat the 3D printer situation. Number one, they're using one of their own elements to their advantage. One of the elements they do is that they have plastic, and plastic will bend before it breaks. How many of you have accidentally dropped something or whatever and had something bend that was fragile, and you can just kind of gently bend it back? It's not going to necessarily snap. Of course, some of it does, but it's not going to necessarily snap. And I... Uh, I feel like they got smart and they thought, you know what, what is one of the advantages we have in our medium versus the 3D printer, resin, or plastic? They are brittle and you really can't do things that are unsupported. Therefore, what we should do is we should make models that are um, fragile or delicate and we are using the flexibility of our plastic as a element in our models so that if they tried to recreate these models in a printer it would be far too fragile and they could never truly re recreate it now i hope i did not overstate that but here's another thing that's interesting that ties directly into this do you remember all the years where they put out model stats without putting out a model and all those years that you were encouraged to make your own you know, um, Tyranid Drop Pod, the Tyrannocyte, or you're encouraged to make your own Harpy. You know, my Harpy is kitbashed because I played all the way back then when you had to kitbash when they didn't even sell a Harpy model until 6th or 7th edition. So the whole chapter house thing calls that. So they used to definitely encourage kitbashing. The White Dwarves always had kitbashing guides and all this sort of stuff, and maybe they occasionally do, but they used to have complete sections devoted to it and they've really encouraged you to make it your own but did you notice in recent years that they've kind of backed off from the make it your own sort of format and now what we discussed and one of our listeners Jonathan discussed on Facebook is that they've really gone to more of game pieces where each model has a deliberate pose and a deliberate 
outline and a deliberate, like the minute you see a Lord of Contagion, you know it's a Lord of Contagion and it's not a Blight Caster or whatever, because you know this is what the game piece looks like. And it's less of a personal custom army. It is actually kind of encouraged to be just this cookie cutter. Hey, this is what a Lord of Contagion looks like. Take it or leave it. Which is also in part why they're doing the monopose things is to make them all the same. Well, if you think about this, I feel like they're kind of fomenting this atmosphere of, yes, you can do things your own way, but really the true model looks exactly like this. And I feel like instead of people making their own models in like a CAD program and then printing them, they're kind of encouraging people that if you're going to do that, you have to make it look like their model because everyone else's looks like a certain model. So you bring in a quote-unquote 3D printed Lord of Contagion, quote-unquote, and you're like, oh, this is my Lord of Contagion. And there will come a time when people are so used to this atmosphere of game pieces versus models that they're going to go, well, that doesn't look like a Lord of Contagion. And you go, well, it is. And they're like, oh, okay, you're proxying. Well, there was a time when that wasn't even considered a proxy. That was considered what you just did. You didn't have models for all the units, so you just custom made whatever you wanted. And of course, they're not banning that just yet. But what they are doing is they're setting the tone of, hey, our models look a certain way. So if you print a St. Celestine and she's on foot or she's taking flight in some other manner people are instantly going to see that as a proxy. And proxies, no matter what you do, no matter how beautiful they look, proxies will always be seen as lesser than the real model. It's just the way it is. Um, I've been doing proxies for years and years, and even me, deep down in my heart, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not the real model. I mean, it's a proxy, and I love it, and it's my own, and it's unique, but it's not the real model. So then couple that in the new atmosphere they have and you say that St. Celestine is supposed to look this exact way because it is now a game piece and not a model. Well, guess what? You have a hard time recreating that game piece with a 3D printer because they made it so spindly. Same thing with all of the Night Haunt stuff with one wispy tentacle being the whole support structure. Well, it's the same thing for them. So you can proxy all you want, but it's like a passive discouragement of proxying and using 3D printers. Then, instead of making something your own, you're going to have to actually go through the motions of purposely um, 3D modeling and printing a model that looks exactly the way their model looks, which is hugely restrictive. I mean, you can still do it. They're not, they really can't prevent you from doing it. But it is hugely restrictive on your creativity and all that. So you're basically going through all this extra work to digitally sculpt this and just make it look exactly like the model you could just go ahead and buy. And I feel like that's extremely clever. If they're doing that on purpose, that is extremely clever to change the narrative and change the atmosphere of what gamers are expecting from their game and whether or not proxies are acceptable. And that brings me to my third point. My third point about this is, along with all of the spindly models and all of the hard-to-recreate motions and all of that games workshop has also been forced to really really up their game with their sculpting and the energy and the motion and the action in their models and make them truly unique looking so if somebody goes out of their way to uh you know i just talked about the bliss barbs bliss barb seekers okay we just i just talked about that so let's say you say 
you know what? I'm going to turn up my nose at that $65 for Bliss Barb Seekers. You know what? I'm going to um, go print my own or buy my own somewhere. So you look all around, and you might find Seekers of Slanesh. You might find them, because they're a really old model, but you're not going to easily find Bliss, Bliss Barb Seekers. You're not going to find them, because they're a new model, and the pace in which they make new models is... I mean... For all, for all lack of a better term, is dizzying. Um, it makes the digital sculpting pirate community kind of constantly in a panic trying to keep up with everything, and I really don't think they can for the most part. But not only that, but their models are now so unique, and you're expecting a certain outline, that you couldn't easily just take generic 3D printed horsemen and go, oh, these are my Bliss Barb Seekers. Sure, you could do it, but it would not look the same, and it would be scoffed at, probably. And then you would just look like a cheapskate. If what they're doing is intentional, that's extremely genius. So to recap, what they've done is they've made extremely spindly, very beautiful, highly detailed, ex exquisitely executed models, which A, makes them play to their own strengths with the medium they're using, which is plastic and not resin or... 3D printed plastic, say that three times fast, 3D printed plastic, um, they're playing to their strengths of the actual medium they're making because they know it will be fragile. That's A. B is they're going to make these sculpts so dynamic and so unique with all of these new models and these new units and, and the new creations. It's no longer what Fantasy Battles was about dudes on horseback, which is recreated a million times over in a million different 3D printer files and with a, a million different generic fantasy bullshit, right? Um, so they're making the models unique so that you would have to actually intentionally digitally sculpt the model that you're trying to copy. And C, they're actually making it so that you are expecting a certain pose and a certain outline and a certain look to these models and you're not encouraged to kitbash or make it your own which sets a precedent for the way certain models should look. So that is a one, two, three punch against the 3D printing um, world. And I think if that is intentional, it is absolutely genius. And they've made completely the right move in this. It's all very subtle, but I think this is very, very smart on their part. And it's going to help combat this 3D printer problem. Now, I do truly believe that in the next decade it is going to be a problem for them. But right now, they're staying ahead of the curve and they're doing something proactive about it. And I... I mean, it seems like GW a lot of times falls ass backwards into things and they don't, like, intentionally do things smart. <laughs> so I don't know if they actually intended to do this. But if they did, kudos on them because it's certainly working, I think. I think that's it for this week. Thank you to my Patreon sponsors for supporting the show, and thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show as well. I will see you next week.